Specialty Story, session number 163. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week, where I get to have amazing conversations with physicians about their specialty, how they got there, what they like about it, what they don't like about it, what is to come, what changes they see in the field, and much more, all to expose you to a specialty that maybe you didn't know anything about. And our guest today has a great specialty, one we've had quite a bit of recently, and that is vascular and interventional radiology. Now, Dr. Mark Lesney talks about his journey to vascular and interventional radiology and what he likes about it, what he doesn't like about it, and all of that fun stuff. So have a listen, enjoy, and I'll see you on the other side. We start the conversation by finding out how Dr. Lesney first became interested in vascular and interventional radiology. So when I was in medical, so like everyone, uh, I never heard of vascular interventional radiology before I was in medical school and barely heard it throughout medical school. Uh, But when I was in medical school, I was one of those people who sort of liked everything. Like I did OB and I'm like, oh, I want to be an OBGYN. And then I did PEDS. I'm like, I want to do PEDS. Um, And then during my surgery rotation, I was, um, I did a vascular rotation. And at the time, the, some of the procedures were done by both the interventional radiologist and the surgeon. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of my first exposure to interventional radiology. Um, and then I looked more into it and then realized, you know, I had to go through diagnostic radiology to get interventional radiology at the time, which has changed, which we can talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was my first exposure to it. What was it that you think kind of stuck with your fancy? Yeah, I'll tell you exactly what it was. The first thing I liked about it was I told you this, um, these procedures were done combined, interventional radiology and and with the, with the surgeon. And at the time, for some reason, the procedure we were in, the interventional radiologist got held up and was busy. And literally the entire procedure was not able to be done. Um, the surgeon sort of, you know, just wasn't familiar and how to accomplish the procedure. And, and that was the first time I'm like, hey, I want to be the person that um, someone needs in order to do their work. Um, and for me, that's a lot of what interventional radiology is, is allowing um, patient care to sort of reach another level. And in some cases, offering uh, options and hope where previously there was hopelessness. Um, and, and that was my first exposure to that. And it just sort of grew from there. What are some of the biggest traits around being a good vascular interventional radiologist? Yeah. So I think the basic thing is, you know, we're, we're tinkerers or MacGyvers. We're clearly very much um, hands-on people. So you got to enjoy working with your hands. Um, You got to have problem solving skills. What attracted me to interventional radiology was a lot of times we have patients that someone comes down and, and consults us and says, we have no idea what we're supposed to do with this patient. Help us. And we literally will sometimes invent things to do for people. Um, and so, you know, I would say once every month or two, I am doing a procedure that I've never done before or some basic thing that I've never done before, or in some cases that no one has ever done before. Um, so having this willingness to think outside the box and try new things and problem solve when everyone else says, uh, there are no other options. 
I think is very important. And then communication. Um, you know, we see a lot of patients every day. And, you know, in clinic, I talk to patients who have previously been told that there's no options for them, or I have to explain some complex procedure I'm going to do through a small hole. And if you can't do that effectively and you can't communicate with patients, they're, it's hard to get trust and it's hard to build a relationship. Yeah. I think a lot of students will hear and understand and have heard of interventional radiology. And when I say vascular interventional radiology, they go, well, what is that? Is that something completely different or is that just a different name for the same thing? What is that? Yeah. So vascular interventional radiology is um, the full name of interventional radiology. The founder of interventional radiology, you know, again, we're, we're kind of a young specialty. Our, our father of the specialty was from 1964, which is Charles Dodder. Now compare that to like, you know, Lister and uh, um, all the big, you know, big names of uh, Halstead of, uh, of medicine and surgery and GYN. They're hundreds of years old. So we're a pretty new specialty. So interventional radiology started um, by Charles Dodder, who basically said that he, think, he thought he could do a lot of work. Um, through small holes um, over wires and catheters. And so his first work was with vascular. Um, he was able to treat a patient who was going to lose her foot. Laura Shaw was the patient. She was going to lose her leg. And he said, well, hang on a second. Instead of amputating your leg, what if I went in and opened up that blockage through a small hole? And that was the very first sort of angioplasty procedure. And what's really been enjoyable about interventional radiology is that concept of working percutaneously through a small hole, minimally invasively with a catheter and wire just exploded uh, throughout the entire body. So we now treat everything from head to sh- head to toe. We treat stroke and tumors and liver disease and kidney disease. And so it started as a vascular specialty, but actually we say interventional radiology now because a lot of work we do is uh, biliary and GYN and, uh, and kidney. And so you know, it's it's sort of a broad field that that interacts with every single organ system. Now, I think a lot of students will will look at vascular surgery. They'll look at being a, a GI doc. They'll look at some of these other specialties, and and they'll hear vascular and interventional radiology, and they go, well, "Why are the radiologists doing this? Why aren't the more subspecialized people?" doing these minimally invasive things? Why, why is there, there's a big turf war, it seems potentially there. Yeah. So, you know, the radiology part um, is both historical, but also I think still important. So we started because everything we did was image guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason we can do things through a small hole is because we don't need to cut someone open to visualize it directly. We can do it with x-ray and ultrasound and CT and MRI. Now that said, over the past you know sixty years, this has become its own specialty um, or residency separate from diagnostic radiology. So even when I trained, which was only ten to to twelve, fifteen years ago, we had to do a diagnostic radiology rotation uh, residency, excuse me, and then we did a fellowship in IR. Now IR is its own fellowship, and so it's sort of uh, its own entity now. And in terms of you know other specialties, um, yes, I think part of the success of interventional radiology is that we've shown we can do things safer, faster, less invasive. And so some other specialties certainly do some interventional radiology procedures. Um, and some people who are in other specialties are great at it uh, in that one area. For me, uh, the vascular interventional radiology you know field is that I get to do. I'm a minimally invasive expert. Um, and so I do, again, <laughs> things from all over the body, um, 
you know, certainly there are some surgeons out there that do a lot of the vascular work I do, but I also treat uterine fibroids. Um, I also treat kidney obstructions. Um, I also treat biliary tumors. Um, so I think part of deciding what you want to do as a specialty is sort of figuring out, you know, what do you like? Do you like concentrating all your area in one small area? So my wife's a gastroenterologist. Okay. So, you know, she does three, two, excuse me, two basic procedures, scope from above, scope from below. Um, and she's great at it. I do a thousand procedures. Yeah. Um, so you sort of have to decide, do you want to be, you know, have your hand in everything or do you want to have, you know, concentrate in one area um, and go from there? Yeah. Your, your wife using that analogy is very similar to the pilot that just flies from LAX to Newark day in and day out. And, and you are like driving all of the, all of the rural roads across America trying to figure out what the, the next great journey is. Yeah, absolutely. And the highway analogy is perfect. That's exactly what I do. I go through highways in, yep. in people's bodies to reach one organ system to another. So I appreciate the uh, the metaphor there. <laughs> um, now that said, I will tell you, you know, part of interventional radiology that's gotten so, you know, since it's gotten so broad is we do subspecialize. So for example, I specialize in vascular disease. So I yeah. also get to develop a, um, a depth of knowledge while maintaining some degree of breadth. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, a lot of the skills I use um, minimally invasive are applicable in you know multiple organ systems, and so it really concentrates your expertise, as opposed to you know some people who sort of are a little bit more hobbyist. So they do um, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of you know whatever. Um, it really gets us to concentrate our expertise in one uh, treatment paradigm and one sort of specialty. Yeah. What are some of the biggest myths or misconceptions about interventional radiology that you're constantly fighting among medical students or maybe even other physicians? Well, I would say the biggest myth is that we don't even exist. Um, you know, unfortunately, we we have a name recognition problem, uh, both in medical field and in patient uh, purviews. It's, you know, what on earth is interventional radiology? Are you a radiologist? Do you look at x-rays? Do you look at CT scans? Um, so sort of teaching, referring doctors, medical students, patients that interventional radiologists are more interventionalists and proceduralists and minimally invasive specialists than they are radiologists. Now that said, image guidance is a big part of our specialty. Um, but, you know, we have um, a lot of patient interaction. You know, we're not the diagnostic radiologists who sort of sit in the dark rooms and are experts. And don't get me wrong, I, they're amazing expertise there. Um, but they're, you know, they're reading films and they're experts at that. We have an active clinic and I admit patients and I discharge patients and I round on patients and I do procedures. Um, so, there is a gap between the word radiologist and interventional radiology specialty where we are a clinical specialty as opposed to something like pathology or radiology. Do you see some potential in the future where the name changes to drop radiology as a, as a kind of a misnomer? So that is a very controversial, um, but often talked about question. Um, so some people do advocate that. Some people want to go back to something called, you know, call us special proceduralists or interventionalists. Um, but there's other people who say, look, radiology is a big part of why we're so successful. There are people, as we talked about, uh, from other specialties who try to do what we do. And some of them are outstanding and some of them aren't. And part of the reason may be because of that radiology background. I can um, look at imaging and I can think about things in a 3D way that allows me to approach some procedures differently than if I didn't have that radiology background. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Um, I do think we fight the radiology, uh, diagnostic radiology um, 
persona because we're, we're clearly sort of a different beast. Um, but that said, I very much value my diagnostic radiology colleagues and my training yeah. in diagnostic radiology. Talk about for your subspecialty in vascular, what are some of the disease processes or pathologies that you're treating day in and day out? Yeah, so sort of my two big areas of, of interest are um, peripheral artery disease, um, specifically what's called critical limb ischemia. So that's for patients with very severe circulation disorders, blockages in their arteries, to the point where they are actually at risk for losing their leg. And so I run a bit a pretty robust with alongside my colleagues, uh, an amputation prevention program. Um, and unfortunately, there are a lot of patients who are just offered amputation and critical limb ischemia specialists, which interventional radiology is a big one, along with um, surgery and some cardiologists. Um, we work really hard to prevent amputations and, and treat patients who, again, other people have said there is nothing to offer. And then my other area of interest is uh, dialysis and venous disease. So um, patients who've got blockages in their chest, in their SVC, right above their heart, um, patients who um, have severe um, swelling and shortness of breath and can't breathe because of these blockages or can't get dialysis because there are blockages. Um, those patients come to see me and what I'll do is I'll try to revascularize them, open them up in some way to improve blood flow, to decrease their symptoms or to give them life-saving dialysis. For the student listening to this, who who's going into medicine because they they love the the Sherlock Holmes aspect of it, the the diagnosis and trying to figure out what's wrong, how much of your specialty is that versus being the technician, being being given a patient who has something wrong and and you just need to go fix all, all the routing of things? Yeah, that's a great question. So that is where I would tell you diagnostic radiology. Um, I really loved. I didn't expect it. I went into radiology expecting inter to, to do interventional, but I actually liked a lot of diagnostic. And the reason is, and I can say this because I'm not a diagnostic radiologist anymore, so it doesn't sound <laughs> conceited, but um, diagnostic radiologists are some of the smartest people in the hospital. Um, they, I remember I was a pretty good medical student and I remember going to residency and I heard about diseases as a radiology resident that I had never even heard of. Now, I'm not talking I heard about and forgot. It's things that I'd never even heard of. And the diagnostic radiologist had to be the Sherlock Holmes and be the one who figured out not only to know about the disease, but what does it look like? What does it look like after treatment? What does it look like after surgery? What does it look like in its various stages? And I thought that was pretty cool. As an interventional radiologist, um, a lot of times, you know, the diagnosis, um, you know, is already made and I'm going to fix it and treat it. But I do like the fact that I have my diagnostic radiology background where I can talk about, you know, the treatment of lymphangiomyomatosis um, with, uh, with my pulmonology colleague or, um, you know, Erdheim Chester or whatever it is, random disease that we had uh, to know about in diagnostic radiology um, that sometimes has interventional manifestations um, that we need to treat. Yeah. Interesting. Um, what does a, a typical day look like for you or a typical week if you don't have a typical day? Yeah. Yeah. So it depends. So I've actually, um, I was, a uh, um, on faculty at an academic center for many years. And then I transitioned to a, a non-academic environment in a tertiary care or quaternary care hospital. So I sort of uh, can give you a, a difference of, of day, but in general, uh, I think most interventionalists, um, will agree that, most of the time, their days are uh, variable, if that makes sense. So in other words, uh, sometimes we start with a clinic, uh, clinic day. Sometimes we have a procedure day. Um, but in general, I'll tell you, I go to work. We generally have um, PAs that sort of round with us in terms of what's going on, who has been admitted, who are we seeing in clinic that day. And then I will do procedures. 
Um, often these are scheduled procedures for my outpatients that I've already seen in clinics. Sometimes it's emergency procedures. I cover a, um, the one of the largest transplant and uh, uh, trauma centers in the area. So clearly emergency procedures come in quite a bit. Um, and then uh, often we'll have a clinic in between or a dedicated clinic day. And then depending on not you're on call, you go home and, you know, sort of finish your work. Um, if you're on call, um, I will tell you interventional radiology is a relatively call heavy specialty, depending on where you practice, because we do treat patients with trauma and uh, emergencies. Um, so if you are absolutely hate uh, call, I will tell you there are options for interventional radiology where you can avoid call, but most interventional radiologists take call. Um, and that's sort of, you know, my day. What is um, the the call when you're when you're on call? I'm assuming because it's a very hands-on specialty. It's not like a, a diagnostic radiologist where you can just log into the EMR from home. You, you need to go in and actually do things. So you're you're very often being called into the hospital when you're on call. Yeah, um, which of course the you know the older I get, the harder it is. Um, <laughs> but that said, it makes it interesting. So yeah. you know my medicine. Um, some of my internal medicine colleagues and my friends, they take call and they're like, oh, I take call, but I'm home the entire night. I just yeah. answer calls and talk to patients. No. So for interventional, we'll get a call. Um, and it's a patient who's bleeding. Most often it's bleeding either through a trauma or a GI bleed or some something or another. Um, and we'll have to actually go in and, and treat the bleeding uh, at the time. Yeah. Now, you, you had mentioned that you used to be in an academic setting and now you're not. What was the decision algorithm for you to to go to more of a community setting outside of academics? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a hour talk unto itself. <laughs> um, but um, no, I enjoyed academics. I really did. It was more sort of a, a personal geography move. Um, so I started getting a family and we had our first kid and we're like, well, maybe we want to try a different part of the country. And the other thing is I'm, you know, like many interventionalists, um, I'm someone who wants to challenge themselves. And so I did want to try a different practice environment and see if I could, you know, do something different. Um, now that said, I still have my faculty appointment. And so I still do a lot of research, which is a, a nice option for interventional, but I, um, I'm no longer a part of a, you know, day-to-day -day training program, but I still give talks and lectures and, and still have that education piece, which I enjoy. You had mentioned that uh, as you're getting older, the call is less and less fun. Just in, in general, do you feel like vascular and interventional radiology gives you the, the if it exists, the work-life balance that you want? You know, it does. And, and I'll actually say the call is still fun. Yeah. What's not fun is getting interrupted during a dinner. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, that's never going to be fun. Um, but once you sort of get over that and realize you're leaving to help someone who needs you and specifically you um, right now, there is a huge satisfaction in that. And so when I go to a procedure, even if it's a procedure I've done a thousand times now, again, it's not something we've, you know, interventional work is only 50 to 60 years old. It's not something we've done a thousand times over for the past 200 years that's been, you know, stagnant. And so even when I go in for a procedure, there could be something new. There could be something I've never encountered before. And I, I do a lot of thinking on my feet and trying to figure out, well, how am I going to treat this? Because I'm not going to be able to treat it the same way I treated something exactly the same way two days ago. Um, so that still keeps it lively and interesting. Yes, it's a bummer to get up at two in the morning, but it's nice to get up at two in the morning and realize that you might be able to save someone's life. And so that's certainly um, a big part of, of why I still do what I do. 
How much? It's just interesting as you talked about that, just thinking back to medical school and, and anatomy yeah. and thinking back to, well, <laughs> the uh, our anatomy professor was like, this is the way things are unless they're not, right? Yeah. It's just like right, there exactly. are variations and, and very common variations that we we learn. How often are you running into variations where you're you're in a vessel and, and you're kind of mapping where you're going and you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> like that turn's not supposed to be there. What's What's down this road? Like, does that happen a lot? It does. It does. And it keeps you on your toes, man. It keeps you, um, you know, all the anatomic variants that you sort of glossed over in medical school, you have to know it. Um, I'll give you an example. Just the other day, uh, a couple months ago, I got called in for a patient who was, who was literally bleeding to death um, from, uh, from her bowel. And um, I went in and actually I, I, I went in to tr- treat her. And normally we either go in through the groin, which is a lot of people do that. Um, but actually her aorta was blocked completely occluded from atherosclerotic disease. So what I do is, and actually I do this even in non-emergent cases, I'll go in through the wrist. We go in through the radial artery and her radial artery was actually too small to go into. So he said, okay. So I had to figure out and I went into ulnar artery. And then I tried to treat her, um, her bleeding vessel off her celiac artery, but her celiac artery was occluded. Mm. So I said, okay, I guess I'll go through the SMA through the collaterals. And I go through the SMA through the collaterals and couldn't reach it. And I said, okay, we'll figure something else out. And <laughs> rerouting, so I, I, rerouting, absolutely. rerouting. <laughs> so literally it's an eight step process of something I normally do. There were at least five to eight steps that I couldn't do. And at the end of the day, we still treated the patient. She was discharged uh, about a week and a half later and alive. Wow. Um, so, you know, all those things, uh, the anatomic variants and the patients that are different and, you know, it, it keeps you on your toes and it keeps it from being boring. That's cool. Yeah. That sounds like something I would enjoy. I, li- I like that kind of thinking. So yeah, that's cool. Absolutely. So you talk about the, the training journey. You, you talked about you needing to go through a diagnostic radiology program first, but now that's different. What does it look like now for someone to go into interventional radiology? Yeah. So when I trained, it was a year of internship. And then we had to do um, four years of diagnostic radiology. And then we did a fellowship uh, in interventional radiology, which was a year. And then I think um, mostly people realized that that didn't make a lot of sense uh, because diagnostic radiology and interventional are so separate and so different. Um, just doing a year, you know, to learn a thousand procedures uh, or more doesn't make a lot of sense. So, um, so now you actually match directly into interventional radiology from medical school. And so it's its own specialty. It's its own uh, residency, excuse me. Um, it's still six years for the most part. There are some other pathways, but it's still six years. And diagnostic radiology is actually incorporated. So you will still get boarded in diagnostic radiology, but there's a lot more integration of interventional radiology and interventional work early. There's more of a mandate that you must learn how to do clinic because um, a lot of programs you graduate from and never you know, never had a robust clinic. And then you get into practice and realize, well, how do I run a clinic? That's an important part of being an interventionalist. Um, so clinic is mandated, um, different. You have to learn how to, um, you know, manage oncology patients and vascular patients and trauma patients. And sort of all that is, is now integrated into the residency, which is still, uh, in general, six years. Is it, is it a, um, a categorical program or do you still need to apply for a prelim year? For um, it's a, I believe it. Yeah, I believe it's a categorical program. Okay. Um, it is a categorical program. Now that yeah. said, I don't know if some programs um, I've been away from from this part yeah. uh, for a couple of years now. Okay, but if some programs you need to match or not. Yeah, interesting. All right, and and would you say, based on your knowledge now at this point, is matching directly into interventional radiology now that it's its own thing? How how competitive is that? 
So you're very timely with that question. <laughs> so when the interventional radiology match, radiology match first came out, which is uh, a couple of years now, it was the most competitive specialty in all of medicine. Wow. So it beat out dermatology, it beat out neurosurgery, orthopedics, whatever it is, was the competitive of du jour. Now, recently, that com competitiveness has decreased. Um, and there's some philosophies for that. Some people say, well, after about a year or two of it being the most ridiculously competitive specialty, people stopped applying uh, <laughs> as much. Um, there's also some different pathways now. Uh, so in other words, you can you can still um, get into interventional radiology, not through a categorical program. Mm. Um, so it's decreased in competitiveness, but it's it's still, you know, a pretty competitive specialty. For the osteopathic student listening to this, what do they need to do to overcome any sort of potential negative bias out there? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I've had the, the privilege to work with a lot of osteopathic medical students um, and physicians. And I mean, just you got to get yourself known and just have someone meet you and realize, look, my degree is equivalent to MD. I am an awesome medical student. I have a lot to offer. Um, and getting your foot in the door, I think, is the big step. To be honest, I give the, the medical students uh, from a allopathic medical school the same advice. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a ton of people out there and it's very competitive. You got to figure out a way to sort of distinguish yourself. I understand that osteopathic medical students have a little bit more of a hurdle. Um, but man, there are some outstanding candidates out there and they just need to get themselves known and get their foot in the door and say, look, give me a chance and I will prove you a hundred times over, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. The osteo, a lot of osteopathic students have uh, potentially a, a chip on their shoulder, rightfully so, because of starting off undergrad poorly, holding them back, getting into an allopathic sure. school or struggling with the MCAT, that stupid test that we all have to take. Yeah. Um, and so they're, they're out there to prove themselves, which uh, a lot of them do. Um, yeah. You know, I've been, um, I remember I, I used to teach for, um, for MCAT, some of these MCAT prep courses. Yeah. And I remember talking to, talking to um, college kids uh, who about osteopathic versus allopathic. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you are passionate about something and you commit yourself and you do a great job, um, yeah. it's pretty hard to argue that, that the, you know, degrees aren't equivalent. Now, obviously, if you're a terrible allopathic medical student or a terrible osteopathic medical student, it's going to hurt you. Um, but if you work your butt off, uh, you should get your voice heard and, and, he have a chance to hear, to tell people why you deserve a position in interventional radiology. Yeah. Nice. Now you had mentioned that you kind of subspecialize in the vascular world. Is subspecialization in interventional radiology, are there more kind of ACGME fellowship training programs, or is it more just, this is what I like, so I'm going to kind of cherry pick the patients that come to me? Yeah. The most... Um, so you right. So right as of now, there's no additional training with the exception of neurointerventional. So if you want to become a neurointerventionalist, so treat cerebral aneurysms, AV malformations, yeah. that is an extra fellowship. But just with a vascular interventional radiology residency, um, then you can do whatever you want. And typically you sort of choose what you want to do, focus on because you like that or because you're in a practice that needs it. Um, so, and again, it'll dep depend on your practice location. If you're the only interventional radiologist in a hundred mile area, guess what? You're doing everything. Um, <laughs> if you're, if you're in a, you know, where I am, there's 13 interventionalists or 14 now. And so we've got, you know, four interventional oncologists who just treat, uh, cancer patients. We've got, um, pediatric and malformation, uh, specialists, we've got vascular specialists. So it sort of depends on your practice location, but yeah, it can all be done, um, with the residency itself without additional training with the exception of neurointerventional. Yeah. 
Interesting. Now you had mentioned earlier when I, when I talked about some of the biggest myths or misconceptions, you said one of the biggest things is just knowing that you exist for the future primary care docs out there, or maybe subspecialists who should be sending a lot of patients potentially to interventional radiology. What do you want them to know about your specialty, about what you're doing day in and day out to hopefully help their future patients? That is a great question. I think the thing I want you to know is if you are stuck with a patient and you don't know what to do, run it by your interventional radiologist. A lot of times we can offer things, even things that don't end up in a procedure. We can offer perspectives um, or ideas or problem solving strategies that are very effective for patients. If you are having a patient that um, someone's been told nothing can be done, run it by the interventional radiologist. Mm. We can come up with solutions sometimes that no one else knows about. And then the third uh, situation is just meet your interventional radiologist and see <laughs> what um, office services and therapies and clinical work that they can offer um, because it's everything from, oh, I, you know, I, I may need that every you know, year to, oh my goodness, I could use that for almost you know, 50% of my patients. Um, and so just learning what we can do and asking you know, what sort of interests they have and clinical specialties they have, um, we can really be your best friend. It's funny, as you mentioned that, it, you sound very similar to like the the geek squad of the <laughs> the tech world. But like, I don't know what's wrong with my computer. I'll just take it to the, the geek squad, right? You're, you're the, the the people who just have the the thought processes that maybe are just a little bit different enough than everyone else to help you potentially get to some solutions. Yeah, I'll take that as an analogy. That's fine. <laughs> um, you know, and, and the other thing I'll say is... Um, because we interact with so many other specialties, because we're, you know, again, treat every organ system, there's a lot of patients that I see and I say, look, this is what I can offer. But man, I think you should talk to the rheumatologist. Mm. You know, I think they may have a better uh, treatment plan than I have because I know to some extent what rheumatology can offer because I treat, you know, uh, vascular disease and vascular disease and things like that. And so we also have perspective on other people's specialties. Yeah. Um, and we often know what other people's specialties can do. Uh, you know, I know what the hepatobiliary surgeons usually can offer. Uh, I'm not a hepatobiliary surgeon, but I can certainly point someone in the right direction. So in some ways, we're also a gatekeeper for, um, we can be a gatekeeper for other uh, therapies um, that maybe the primary care a provider, you know, just doesn't think about it just because they don't have as much exposure. Nice. You, you, the, the triage of it all. That's, that's cool. Yeah. What uh, other specialists do you work the closest with? Yeah, so we treat, so we work pretty closely, obviously, with oncologists. Um, we do a lot of interventional oncology with um, surgery, trauma surgery, hepatobiliary surgery, um, transplant surgery. Um, and then some of the, and for me, I'm a vascular specialist, so I work with the vascular surgeons quite a bit. Um, those are sort of the main specialties we work with. And then, you know, internal medicine and uh, is our, you know, bread and butter patients. Um, but urology, OBGYN, I mean, you know, I can go on and on because I'm trying to think. I'm like, well, what do I do on a daily basis? Well, yeah. I can treat someone's fibroids, which I'll work with a GYN. And then a kidney's obstructed uh, or a prostate a patient has BPH and I'm treating their prostate. So I'll work with a urologist. Uh, and then they've got a, a, a Klatskin tumor and they've got biliary obstruction. So I'm going to talk to the biliary surgeons and treat their patient. So we work with a lot of different specialties. Yeah, that's nice. It keeps the variety up and, and uh, the, hopefully for a lot of people who like that variety, it keeps, keeps things interesting for you. Yeah, for sure. What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into interventional radiology? Not that this would have dissuaded me, 
but I wish I knew um, how much work there was to do in terms of getting our name out there. Um, if you have schizophrenia, there is no question who you're going to see. You're going to see a psychiatrist. Yeah. It, you know, you've known that for the past you know, 200 years, you're going to see a psychiatrist. We don't have that in interventional radiology. We have a, a fairly big problem with patient uh, recognition. And so I work very hard to educate patients and referring doctors, um, you know, what we can offer and, and how we can help save patients and treat patients and in some cases save their limbs and legs and life. And, uh, and that's a, a, a quite a bit of extra work I have to do. Now, it so happens that I love doing it and I love giving talks and talking to people and communicating. But if you're not into that, if you sort of just want patience and work to flood to you, um, you know, think twice about interventional radiology. Interventional radiology, you've got to do a good work and you've got to sort of publicize and let people know what you can offer. Um, it's not the same as, you know, I've got a broken femur and I need to see an orthopedic surgeon. No questions asked. Um, there's a little bit more to it than that. Yeah. What do you like the most about being a vascular and interventional radiologist? I love, absolutely love looking a patient in the eye who has been told that there is nothing else that can be offered to them and that there is no solution to their problem to fix their life or save their life and being able to say, actually, I have one or two <laughs> Hold or my five beer. different ideas. <laughs> absolutely. Um you know, as an interventionalist, we always have to have plan A through F at least. Um, and so I like that. I like being able to to offer, again, hope to the hopeless um, in some cases. Does that give you a little bit more freedom because some of these patients are the ones being told there's nothing left to do? And so you're like, well, what's what's the harm? Let me go try this thing that I've thought about doing, but have never been able to do yet. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. I mean, when you, you know, I see patients who, you know, they've recommended, you know, amputation, uh, baloney amputation. And so, you know, I'll tell a patient, can I save a hundred percent of legs? No, of course not. No one can, but man, let's give it a try. And if we fail, uh, then you're in the same spot you were, yeah. but there are the vast majority of cases where we don't fail and we patients can, can have success. So it is a little bit liberating to have someone who says, yeah, there's nothing that can be done. And I say, well, let's try. Yeah, And if we've got a 80%, 90%, 95% success rate, depending on the procedure, you know, that's great. Even if we have a greater than 50% success rate, man, yeah. that's better than the 100% of you having no options, right? Yeah, well, that's, that's a great way to think about it. What do you like the least? <sighs> um, what do I like the least? We talked about call. Um, <laughs> no, so I think... Um, so what I like the least is uh, it is frustrating to have to continually keep your foot on the gas. Um, you know, my wife, again, is a gastroenterologist. She, you know, patients will come to her uh, and she really doesn't have to market. She doesn't have to do anything. She doesn't have to prove herself. Um, interventional radiologists sort of have to prove themselves. You have to show that what you can offer minimally invasively is just as good as what someone else can offer surgically. Um or what someone else who's not an interventional radiologist can offer. And so you do have some competition and have to prove yourself. Now that said, you know, it's frustrating sometimes, but it keeps you good. Um, I'm happy that I get referred patients from other people who do what I do, um, because that's a testament that I do it better. Um, so it definitely keeps me um, held to the highest standard, um, even though it's true that I have to continually remind people that this is what I do. Um, you know, it, 
it, it's okay a little bit of competition and a little bit of uh, having to prove yourself I think keeps you from being lazy and when it comes to patients the last thing you want is a lazy complacent doctor yeah it, it's it's interesting just with the world that I'm in now with podcasts and everything else I, I think about how how everyone really at this point is their own brand and being able yeah. to to market yourself and being comfortable putting yourself out there and exposing your knowledge to the world with podcasts or videos or blogs or whatever to to really just get get your name out there is is interesting and something that I think everyone's going to have to be comfortable with in the future to to be successful. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I think you know one of the misconceptions I had, I think, as a medical student was, oh, I'll just go into whatever, and then patients will just you know everything <laughs> will be at handed to you. Yeah, and. I don't care what you are, even if you are a psychiatrist, you know, yeah. next door, there may be a psychiatrist who says they're better than you are. Um, so you better figure out what your angle is and, and you really better be better than they are and, and help patients. Um, cause it comes down to that. And if you're, if you're not helping patients, I don't care what your brand is, but if you are doing a good job, I agree, get your name out there and brand yourself and show what you can do and, and continue uh, helping more. Yeah. Do you see any major changes coming to the field that uh, someone who's interested in interventional radiology should be aware of? Well, the major change recently was obviously separating from diagnostic radiology in terms of uh, residency training. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the big one. You know, there is some talk about subspecialization even more. So, for example, offering an interventional oncology fellowship. Um, I, I don't I don't think that's, uh, that's anytime soon. Um, you know, I think the biggest uh, difference is going to be the training paradigm, which is starting to change now. And then the other thing is, you know, interventional radiology was always a hospital-based uh, specialty. So we always were, you know, in the hospital to treat all these patients. And more and more interventionalists are actually going into solo practice. And that is becoming uh, a little bit of a paradigm shift where um, they're opening their own office and they are treating patients uh, in their office with, an, you know, they have an operating angio suite. Um and in some cases, that gets rid of call because it's just nine to five and uh, five days a week. Um, sometimes there's a hybrid practice. So I think, you know, this change in sort of practice models um, it may be uh, upcoming in the next couple of years, but it's also offering more flexibility. If you want to be the hospital-based, you know, coordinary center, great. If you want to have your own practice and be your own boss, that's great. And sort of everything in between. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a vascular and interventional radiologist? I would. I can't think of anything else I would want to do more. And again, this is coming from someone who literally loved every, almost every specialty uh, rotation. It just gets your hands into so many different disease processes and patient types. I treat kids and I treat, you know, I've treated hundred year olds and I've treated um, patients who are, have chronic disease and acute disease and patients who are going to die right in front of me. And, um, there, I don't, I don't know of too many other specialties that offer that. And I've got to think on my feet uh, and I get to see patients back. I get to treat patients and see them back in clinic and say, Hey, how are you doing? And follow them for, you know, a couple of years. Um, that's really valuable to me. Um, I think part of, of figuring out what specialty you want is trying to figure out what you value and what, what makes you happy and what you, what you like. So for example, for me, um, I'm very much a, what is your problem? Let me fix it. I'll see you in about three to six months. I couldn't do the, let me look at you every single day and figure something else out and keep going and going and going like, you know, rounding for a few hours and, you know, seeing patients every single day without making much of a difference. That just wasn't my personality type. Mm -hmm. Um, So interventional radiology really gives me that 
um, that quality that I was looking for. Let me ask, I should have asked earlier because a lot of students will think about this, is students who aren't very confident in their manual dexterity or hand-eye coordination, can they go into interventional radiology and learn the skills and techniques needed? You know, I've never been asked that. Um, the answer to that question is probably. Um, don't get me wrong. Uh, every once in a while, you'll encounter someone who just literally doesn't, it won't be able to do some of the skills. But I think that's pretty uncommon. Um, I'm a big proponent of not a bad student, bad teacher. And so if you have sort of these minimal competencies and you've got a good teacher who can teach you how to handle wires and catheters and manipulate um, curves and do some of the things we do with our manual dexterity, I suspect most people it'll be accessible to. Uh, yes, there's always going to be, uh, you know, the person who just literally can't do it. Um, but I don't know how you would figure that out unless there's clear, you know, clearly an orthopedic or neurologic problem, you know, you have, um, I don't know how you'd figure that out ahead of time. Video games, start playing video games. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, you know, some of my procedures, especially when I do, you know, a lot of uh, radial access where I go through the wrist, I have the patient, um, where their wrist is out and I'm staring at the screen, manipulating wires and catheters in their body. And someone who walks in would just be like, Oh, this dude's playing a video game. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is, um, which is a pretty cool feeling that you're doing this whole thing and the patient goes home with a Band-Aid as opposed to cutting them open stem to stern, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. Any last words of wisdom for the student listening to this now potentially interested in vascular and interventional radiology? Yeah, I would say go find a vascular and interventional radiologist uh, and spend some time with them. Again, we are... um, not as, you know, we're not as well known as something like as an internal medicine doctor or a pediatrician. Um, so go figure out what it's, what it's about and see what they like about it and see if it's right for you. Um, there's not so much, there's a limit to what you can do by finding on the internet and Googling and um, go spend time, go to a clinic, go to an IR clinic, go to an IR procedure and uh, ask them what their day's like and, and seek it out. And we need energetic and enthusiastic and smart and creative um, men and women to, uh, to further this field. Um, which is constantly evolving. All right, so there you have it. Again, Dr. Mark Lesney, who is out in the community, a non-academic center, and has been out now for nine years out of his training, about nine years out of his training, and is out loving his job, his specialty. So hopefully his insight gave you some insight into vascular and interventional radiology. You can find out more about interventional radiology by going to the Society of Interventional Radiology at sirweb.org. Again, that's sirweb.org or the Journal of Vascular and Interventional Radiology at jvir.org. Lots of different organizations out there. There's more, but I won't read them all to you. You can Google it if you would like. Hopefully this gave you some information about vascular and interventional radiology. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories.